So, so, so last week, if you weren't here, you know, Eric had shared about um, being, getting involved in our mission as a church, and he talked about all the different ways that we are um, raising up radical, passionate, aggressive lovers of God from the next generation who, who love deeply, serve sacrificially, live holy, uh, speak truthfully, go globally in the supernatural power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And he shared all kinds of great ways, and, and, and but, but one thing he said in his message that struck me, and, and he said, um, he made an observation in his message. He said um, that there were two major ways that people are checking us out as a church. He said one way was through our website, um, and then the other way was when we invite people. And he asked us to look around and notice that we haven't been inviting people. And the room got real quiet. <laughs> well, you may remember at the first of the year, um, we talked about one of our goals was getting outside of the four walls of this building. Getting outside the four walls, doing some outreach, and doing some evangelism. And today, I want to talk about that. And I'm going I'm to talk through our history I try not to bore you with that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk through some of our history of where we've been as a church in the area of outreach, and um, I want to talk about even what we're doing now and recently, and then I'm going to talk about something I want to do in the near future. Um, now, some of you may not know this about me, um, probably most of you, but maybe not all of you. Um, before, I, before I became the incredible caregiving nurturing, affectionate, affirming shepherd you see before you. Before I became awesome like that, I was a hardcore evangelist. And it all started in May of 1991. In May of 1991, I had just finished my first year of college at Ball State and I had just come to the scary realization that even though I believed in God, even though I understood, I was raised religious, I was raised Catholic, and, and I, I, I knew God, I believed God, and, and I believed, I knew what Jesus had done for everybody, even though I knew all of that, I absolutely had no evidence that I was a Christian. I thought I was a Christian, but there was nothing in my life that could prove I was a Christian. And so my Christianity, it was all in my head. It wasn't in my heart, and you sure didn't see it in my hands. And so in May of 1991, I was fed up with my life, fed up with how I was living. I was scared to death that I was going to hell. And so I made a radical decision to turn control of my life over to Jesus. And it was almost instantly that I started my work as an evangelist. I immediately began telling my friends, started telling all my friends, everyone I was, used to hang out with about Jesus, everyone. I invited every friend I had to church with me. 
I made it my mission to tell everyone that I met that Jesus died for them and that he can save them from hell. And, and by the grace and, and love of God, I was able to lead so many of my friends to the Lord. You know, I'll never forget, I was at a buddy's house one time, and I was over there one night, and he was just depressed, and, and I asked him what was wrong, and, you know, he started to share all of his woes, and all of, you know, he's tired of living without hope, and I asked, and I said, I said, what do you want? And I'll never forget this. He looked me in the eyes, and he had tears streaming down his face. And he said, I want the light that you have. And I said, you can have it. His name's Jesus. And I led him in a prayer right there, and he received Christ. He started going to church with me, and, and he did his very best to live the life of a follower. And so there was nothing Nothing made me more happy in those days than to lead someone to salvation. You know, while I was in college, I, part of my evangelism, uh, as you may have seen, I'm a musician, and while I was in college, I had formed several different Christian bands, uh, and, and all of them with the one purpose of reaching lost youth. And in all those bands, we played anywhere we could, uh, you know, it was probably one of the most exciting times of my life. God was so good in, in confirming the message of salvation that we preached. At every concert, we gave an altar call. Every show, we went out, we would play our hearts out, and then we'd give an altar call. And every time I gave an altar call, someone came to the Lord. They either got saved or they rededicated their lives and usually multiple someones. It was, you know, probably the best, best time that it happened it was, was when I had my, my band, um, it was a hard rock band called Messiah's Bride. And I had a buddy who was a music engineer major at college. He, he needed to have a recording for his final project, and... And our band needed free studio time. So it was a beautiful marriage. And so we went and we recorded um, an album there at the Ball State Music Engineering. And the result of that was Messiah's Bride, Messiah's Bride. Now, kids, for some of you who don't know, this is a, a cassette. <laughs> it's a square thing with... Um, tape inside, and you put it in another square thing, and then you hit buttons that are physical buttons. Um, there's no touch screen to this. It's all analog. In fact, I'm going to do show and tell, so I'm going to pass this around if you'd like to look at it. If you want to own one for nostalgia's sake, I, I have a few left. I'll sell them for five bucks a piece. It's, for, it's, just, it's part of your museum. It's part of your music museum. Go ahead and pass that around and snake it around and make sure it comes back to Alger at the end. Just so you can see it's true. Everything I'm telling you is true. I'm the, the skinny kid in the very front there, and there's some other people you might recognize. 
Um, so we recorded that album and we started playing um, again. Just after we after we did that album, that was 90, 1996. Um, we started playing gigs, lots and lots of gigs. We would play youth groups all over the place. We played, and, th- and by the end of, the, of 1996, we were playing almost every weekend, multiple gigs in a weekend. I was in heaven. I'm like, we're on our way. The deal's just around the corner. Someone's going to sign us. I, in fact, okay, so this isn't my notes, but we actually, I actually met an A&R guy for uh, a label called T- Tattoo Records. He was at a, 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 a show that I was helping Rhodey for all the other bands, and his artist was named Crystal Glass. And uh, he was there uh, for, yeah. And so he was there, and we were, all my guys were like, he's a record guy, give him a tape. And so I drove home as fast as I could, grabbed a tape, and handed it to him, and he gave me his business card. And I thought, this is it. This is where gonna, it's going to happen. And so a couple weeks later, you know, I never heard anything. And so I pull out and dialed the phone. <laughs> no, it was push button, I think, by that point. That's 96. And I call him, and of course, we didn't have caller ID, so he had to pick up the phone to find out who's calling <laughs> And so I, uh, I said, hey, it's Tom, it's Ice Bride, I gave you a cassette, what do you think, man? And he went, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you guys, great music, love the music, can totally tell you're evangelistic. <laughs> Some of the song, I mean, every song we wrote, it was like, get saved, Jesus is the only way, God loves, you know, it was in your, there was no poetry, there was no nuance. There was no, you know, hidden meaning. It was straight in your face. You know, I mean, songs like Closet Christian and Trial by Fire. I mean, so he said, so I'm going to pass it this time. I was like, oh, all right. So anyway, but we kept doing gigs. We even played uh, the Plainfield uh, Juvenile uh, Prison. And, 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 and I remember doing that, that show and we played our hearts out again, and I, was, I got up to give the altar call, and I, I was, you know, I had this angst in me. I was like, man, these are some hard kids. They didn't act like they cared a bit about what we were doing tonight, but I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to give this altar call. And, and, we gave, and I gave the altar call, and I'll never forget, you know, and the bands, their eyes are all closed, heads bowed, you know, that whole thing. And, and again, I thought, I, I have to man. I didn't think any of these hard kids were going to respond but after I shared the gospel and I asked if anyone wanted to receive Jesus to come forward to the stage and every kid got up and came down kids with tears in their eyes who were just sat there the whole time like this and they're now asking for Jesus almost every boy in that room got saved I could barely hold back my own tears, and I got to lead them in to salvation. I remember even doing a, a, a gig one time, and a guy came up to me afterwards, and he had seen us at another place, and he came up to me, and he said, hey, man, I just got to tell you, because after watching you guys, he goes, I'm turning my metal band into a Christian metal band. I was like, yeah, man, go for it. So that was 
an amazing time. And in 1996, we probably led over 200 kids to the Lord. It was glorious. But the size bride didn't last, and we broke up in 97. And in June of 97, uh, we launched this church in Eric's basement. And I was 25 at the time. Uh, I was working a full-time job, and I had the job and the responsibility of building our worship team building our youth ministry, and leading our outreach ministry while getting prepared to be married that September. <laughs> and so our youth ministry, thank God, we were able to start it on Messiah's Bride groupies. They found out, Messiah's Bride starting a church? We're going to go. And so that's how we got our, our, our initial youth ministry started. But we literally started it with a bunch of kids who followed us around. And so, in 98, <clears throat> we started doing an outreach. I led an outreach called Hell House. And it was an outreach that is like a haunted house, and each room showed a scene of something bad going on. You know, something bad happening. Kids doing drugs, uh, a drunk driving scene, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and each scene, we, we, we showed how there were demons influencing the situation, influencing the kids to make bad decisions and do just really terrible things. And so towards the end of the, the tour, everyone uh, had to take a trip through hell, belly of hell, where people were in there and they were crying and they were screaming and, and they were just crying out from the torture of choosing not to believe in Jesus. And then the final scene was a crucifixion scene of Jesus. Jesus, he, he, he gets crucified. They take him. They put him in the tomb. Then there's a scene where Jesus is taking the keys and ripping them out of the hands of Satan. And then he comes forth resurrected. And after that, at the end of that, that scene, I would come forward and I would give an altar call and ask people if they wanted to receive Jesus. And anyone who wanted to receive, they would stay when we'd take him and lead him in prayer. And anyone else, they could just go. And that first year we did that outreach, we had over 600 people come through. And out of that 600, we had um, about 200 salvations and rededications. It was an amazing event. We had people like Vi Graham, Christy Davis was helping Rob White even was around. There was a whole bunch of other people that were just all helping make that outreach awesome. Now, after a couple of years, I handed it off to our youth pastor at that time, and we did Hell House a few more times, uh, but then we realized outreach was shifting, and so we, we just stopped doing it. Now, after I had handed off Hell House, I wanted to do some more outreach, some more events. We wanted to reach kids again. And so at that time, I went up to Rob White after church one Sunday morning. I approached him, and I said, man, I said, bro, I said, we both have hearts to see kids saved, and we both want to see some big things happen in the youth. I said, let's come up with some outreach strategy. What, what can we do? And he agreed, and in a couple of weeks, he came back to me, and he said, I know what we need to do. I know what we need to do. We've got to start a dream center. Maybe you're familiar with the Dream Center out in Los Angeles with Matthew Barnett and 
And so I said, yeah, man, that's, that's right. Let's do that. And so Rob and I together, we, we, we launched the Dream Center with Adopt-A-Block Ministry. And Adopt-A-Block was a ministry where we had adopted a neighborhood that had a lot of poverty, a lot of drug problems. And every Saturday, we went out, and we went out to that neighborhood, and we picked up trash, we knocked on doors, we asked people if there was anything we could do. You need your porch fixed? We'll fix it. I think we put on a new roof on our house out there. I think we built a new porch one time. We picked up tires. I mean, we did. We, we asked, what can we do? We prayed with people, and we began building relationships. We hosted block parties. We took people shopping. We, took, we drove them to the store. We drove them to the doctor. We drove them to get their prescriptions. I mean, we helped people with Christmas, families who couldn't help with Christmas. And again, it was an amazing time of us pouring our lives out for others. And during, during that time, we built a lot of amazing relationships. People were getting saved. Drug dealers were moving out of the neighborhood. And eventually, we started a house church in a garage right in the middle of the neighborhood. And we, we had... Uh, other churches in the town, other, other ministries in the city and the region, they were sending us financial support. And, and even at that time, we were also strongly, we were sending lots of kids to Teen Challenge to get them off drugs, to get them off the life-controlling issues that they were going through. We even bought the house that the Hansons live in now. We bought it as a church, as a ministry home, for the, for the whites to live in and to become an intern home uh, connected with the Dream Center intern program. And we had a lot of stuff going on. We had a lot of work going on. But as you know, with any high-intensity ministry, um, we experienced people quitting, people burning out. Um, eventually, Rob wanted to go to PA school and so he went to Tennessee and to, to pursue that. And so the Dream Center died. And we needed to figure out what we were going to do next. You know, through all those early years, we were young. I was young. Full of energy. Willing to take lots of risks. But we also... we. Through that time, we realized something else. We realized that you can't sustain ministry when people are unhealthy. You can't sustain ministry when people don't have basic life skills to support themselves so that they can serve in ministry. And so in 2006, we realized that we needed to shift our focus from outreach to inreach. And in 2007, we launched our freedom campaign. And through that, we made it our purpose to help people grow in the area of financial management, how to have a good marriage, helped them in the area of parenting, uh, how to eat healthy, 
how to be emotionally healthy. You know, we had, and at that point, we had, we'd been focused on emotional healing for years, but it really picked up steam at that point. And we focused on people inside our church getting healthy so, so that they had the bandwidth to be healthy in ministry. And that's where we have been for the last 14 years. Doing inreach. Equipping people to live their lives in alignment with the Bible. Now listen, we are a healthier church in a whole lot of ways. But in some ways, we have become unhealthy specifically in the area of outreach and evangelism. We are not reaching out like the Bible commands us to do. Not as individuals and not as a family. And that has to change. Because evangelism is in the very DNA of this church. in my spiritual DNA and it's in the DNA of this church but it's been neglected in my life and in our lives now this is not to say that we're not doing any outreach okay that's not what I'm saying I thank God for the outreach that we support at Open Arms Church to feed people who need help. Jenny and Bob Hughes help with that. Vicki Taylor, Levi Simmons, Ken Withers. We do an amazing outreach at Eastwood School in partnership with Dive. And we've got Karen Haler. We've got my wife, Michelle, Chris Hansen, Alexis Pribble. They go every other week, every other, every week every week through the school year teaching kids uh, a, a leadership academy we've had evangelism classes led by our evangelism team and we have massively and I mean massively increased the number of missionaries that we've supported and sent globally and all of this is good. All of that is amazing. There's just a few people doing that. The fact is, every one of us have to participate in evangelism. It's not just a few people. It's not just a few who, who, who get to follow Christ on our behalf. All of us have to do this. So today I want to talk about the fragrance of outreach. When it comes to, uh, to, to evangelism, we have to, we have to follow the example of Christ. When he said in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
Chris Hansen, who leads our evangelism ministry, has a great passion to see people do relational, everyday kind of evangelism. And as a church, we have done tons of training when it comes to encountering people out in public on the street with either an encouraging word or sharing a word of knowledge or praying for healing. I mean, it's really what we've trained is lifestyle evangelism. Now, the problem for most of us is that we hardly encounter people who aren't Christians. Or actually, if we said that better, we don't take time to encounter people who aren't Christians. You know, when I look at my own life, I barely interact with unsaved people. All my friends are in this room. My family's all saved. And so when I think about doing lifestyle evangelism, I have to work hard at it. But you know what? I want to do better. And I know that you want to do better too. But you know what? It's easy to lose passion for the lost. It's easy to lose our love for the simple good news of salvation. And when we think it's, it's the outgoing people's job to tell others about Jesus, or, or that it's, it's just the people with an evangelistic anointing, it's their job, then we're deceiving ourselves with a lie. Every person who has Jesus in their heart has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Everyone. And the Holy Spirit is the number one evangelist in the universe. He, and it's because he reveals Jesus better than anyone. In fact, John 16, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. And he will glorify me. Say glorify me. He will glorify Jesus. He will take what is the Lord's Jesus and he will declare it to us. We all have the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us to testify about the love of God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, I realize that most of us are probably scared to death that someone will ask us a hard question or get argumentative with us. Hmm? Well, let me help you with something. You don't have to have all the answers. And you don't have to argue. You see, there's one thing that sets us apart from all other belief systems, all other religions, 
And it's this thing, this one thing. Our belief system, our religious system is built upon the fact that that we have a man who lived 2,000 years ago who said he was the son of God. He was executed and then he rose from the dead three days later. Our entire religion is built upon that one fact. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. See, our message is that Jesus died and he resurrected from the dead and therefore we should do what he says. And the way we do that is we turn our life over to him with absolute believing loyalty. And and I realize it may sound oversimplistic, but it's truth. See, our message is not telling people that God's going to give you a happy life if you kind of accept him. Anyone say amen to that? That's not our message. Our message is a real human man who said he was the son of God, died, and he came back to life three days later. That's our message. No other religion can claim that. That's the message that we've got to share with people. That our job as as followers of Jesus, our job is to love people and then tell them that, that Jesus is their resurrected Savior and Lord. Now, let me encourage you with something. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his second letter to Corinthians, uh, he shares an insight into what is going on in the spirit realm when we choose to go out and preach the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. He says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them, and I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, fragrance from death to death, and to the other, fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So what is Paul saying here? What's he telling us? Well, first, we have to notice that Paul 
went to Troas to preach. And that statement is going to set up the whole rest of this passage. That statement sets up what he wants to say in the context for what he's saying. And then he goes on and he tells us that he has this open door to preach. But his buddy, his teammate, Titus, he's not with him. And that troubled Paul. He's like, I don't, I don't like doing solo ministry. It's not good. I need, I need my companion. I need my team. And so even though there was a great opportunity, Paul says, I pass. I, 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 I got to do this with someone. And it troubled him. And so, so Paul decided to move on to Macedonia. And then in verse 14, Paul starts to pull the veil. And he talks about what we are in the spirit. Hey, this is really bad. Got any new batteries? Let's try that. Couple of double A's. So Paul, uh, Paul says in verse 14, he, he shows us this thing. He says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Say everywhere. everywhere. Say knowledge. knowledge. Say fragrance. Now, what Paul is doing is Paul is, is using some imagery here that's not familiar to us, but it, it is very familiar to the Corinthians. He uses the picture of a Roman triumphal procession. So Paul is using the, now these batteries are dead. That's a red light, man. My messages are so electrifying, it's. You can laugh out loud. So he's using this imagery that we're not familiar with. It's the, it's the imagery of a Roman triumphal procession. And in this Roman triumphal procession, a Roman general would drive his captives and the spoils of war before him down the main thoroughfare of Rome. And, and then he would be greeted by the loud cheers of Roman citizens, and there would be this cloud of incense. We're going to try two more. All right, green light. Good so far. So this Roman general, 
and this per triumphal procession going down the middle of Rome, driving the captives ahead, and they would burn incense. And they would burn incense. <laughs> it's really, it's not. It's, there's something else. There's a magnet or something, or an, a UFO maybe. Is <laughs> See, when I touch everything, nothing's really... We'll go a little longer, and then I'll switch the handheld if I have to. So, burning incense as they're going to the temple of Jupiter, right? And so Paul, because he knows his Corinthian people know, understand what this all represents, he's using this imagery, and he is declaring how Jesus is our conquering king, and that he is leading us, his faithful army, in triumphal procession. And everywhere that we go, when we share what we know of Jesus with others, we let off an aroma in the Spirit. Just imagine every time you walked into Walmart that Jesus is going ahead of you. He's leading you victoriously. Every time, imagine every time you go to Rural King or, or Ace Hardware. Jesus is going before you, and he's announcing to the demons and the principalities that they are defeated, and you better stay out of my guy's way. Jesus, always. Everyone say always. always. Now really say always. always. Jesus always leads us in triumphal procession. And you and I, we carry the fragrance, the uh, 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 fragrance with us, and it's called the knowledge of Jesus. Paul goes on in verse 15, and he says, he says, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Now, Paul is getting ready to teach us something. First thing we learn he says that we are the aroma of Christ to God. In other words, we smell wonderful to God. And, and instead of it being like the Romans, so the Romans burning this incense to false gods, we are like incense to the one true living God. And not only does God smell us when we preach, the gospel, other people smell us too. And Paul is not talking about the smell that some of you hippie-loving patchouli abusers smell like. <laughs> I mean, for the love of all things good, please find a new scent. You know, change it up once a month, you know. Try some eucalyptus or lemon oil. You know who you are. We all know who you are. No, Paul's not talking about that kind of smell. He is talking about a smell that's in the spirit. And specifically, he's talking about how we smell to two specific types of people. Those being saved and those who are perishing. 
And in verse 16, Paul describes what we smell like to each group of people. He says in verse 16, he says, To one, a fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Now, this imagery of, of uh, the, Romanal, the Roman uh, procession and this triumphal procession, when they're burning their incense, that, that, the smell of that incense to the, to the defeated ones, to the captives who are in the parade, that smell to them is one of death and defeat and slavery. However, to, to the victorious Romans, when they smelled that, guess what they smelled? It was the sweet smell of victory. When that incense went up, they knew we won. Who loves the smell of fresh baked bread? Come on, this is, this is crowd participation. Who loves the smell of cinnamon sugar deep fried elephant ears? I just had to say sugar and these guys were like, I don't know what sugar smells like, but it's, I, I like it, right? How about, how about a lilac bush? Hmm? Who loves the smell? We've got one in our backyard and man, when it's in full bloom, our whole neighborhood smells good. But let's go back to food. Who likes the smell of wood-fired pizza? Oh, my. It's close to lunch, isn't it? Oh, just think of all that, how much you love that. Well, guess what? That's what we smell like to God, a wood-fired pizza. <laughs> he could just eat us up. Mm-mm-mm. That's what we smell like. Those, that's what, to those who, who, when we share the good news of Jesus, to those who are being saved, that's what we smell like, fresh home-baked bread, beautiful lilac bush. But to those who are perishing, we smell like death. You know, it's like when, when something in your garbage suddenly just went rancid. Right? The whole house stinks. Right? And when that happens, I don't care if the bag's half empty. I'm closing it up and out you go. Well, to those who reject Jesus, to those who hate Jesus, to those who choose to stay on the wide path of destruction, we smell like death. Paul says when Christians preach the gospel message, it is good news to some, and it's bad news to others. We smell like life to those who receive the message of Jesus, and we smell like death to the ones who reject it. This is Paul's lesson to us when we preach Jesus. This is the big aha. You ready? Not everyone is going to love our message. Now, I know we're all saying, well, duh. 
Social media will teach you that in 10 seconds. But here's what I think we forget. I think what we forget is that we smell amazing to God all of the time. And we also forget that we smell amazing to those who are being saved. And guess what? It is not up to us whether we smell good or we smell bad. As far as God is concerned, we all smell amazing. We are fresh bread. We are deep fried funnel cake covered in powdered sugar. We are lilacs. We are evergreen trees. We, we are, are, are beautiful aroma to God every day of our lives. And that is amazing. Because the devil loves to tell me you stink. Paul's finishing this passage of Scripture with a question. And he asks, basically he says, who can handle this job? Who really can handle this job of sharing the good news of Jesus? He says, who is sufficient for these things? And then he answers, not us by ourselves. And then he says, he says, you know, he makes this statement, he goes, we're not like other people who peddle the word of God and water it down. In other words, I mean, if I could imply a meaning, it would be this. Don't change the message of the gospel just because we're afraid people will reject it. Don't water down the gospel just so we can say we gained a hundred souls. <coughs> because here is what I have witnessed for my 20, over 20 years of ministry. Most people who convert to a watered down gospel don't actually get saved. They walk away from, end up walking away from whatever form of faith they thought they had. And they end up in hell anyway. Paul says, he says, we speak before God with sincerity. Oh, too many. Paul says, we speak before God with sincerity as, as, as those who are sent from God. In other words, he's saying, we didn't author this message. I didn't create this message. It didn't start with me. So don't mess with it. Don't mess with the message. The gospel is perfect. All by itself. How we smell to people, it isn't up to us. It's up to them and it's up to the Holy Spirit. 
See, you don't know if the person in front of you will smell life or death when you share the love of Jesus. All you can be sure of is two things. Number one, God always smells the beautiful sin of Christ on you. That you can absolutely be sure of. And number two, the person in front of you will never smell anything if you don't let your fragrance out. Let that sink in for a moment. Because church, we've got to let our fragrance out. We have got to fill our city with the sweet aroma of Jesus. We've got to fill our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods and parks, where we eat, where we shop. We've got to fill these places with the aroma of Christ, no matter if it's life they smell or death. Jesus is leading us in triumphal procession. Will we follow him into every sphere of society? We have to go. So, so here is my idea for how to get me out into the community a little bit more. Ever since Newcastle, our city, built the skate park, I have had a heart to see it thrive. And it's probably because when I was a kid, I had a BMX bike, I had a trick bike, and I rode it all the time, and I did tricks on it every day. I think they call it flatland now. I practiced for hours learning new tricks, and my bike was my transportation, and it was my sport. So I probably have a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for skaters and BMXers. So here's what I'm going to do. I am, what I'm going to do is I am going to go on Saturday nights from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. to this place. I'm going to start this Saturday. July 6th. And I'm going to go down to the skate park and I'm going to make free hot dogs and hand out free hot dogs and free water to the skaters and the bikers who go to this place. I'm going to do that because I want to get to know these kids. I want to get to know their parents if they have some there. I want to hopefully love on them. Love them into the kingdom. My son David loves riding his bike here. So I will never have a problem getting him to come. My older kids are coming too. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> They're going to help. So what I want to do is I want to invite you guys. I want to invite you as individuals, I want to invite you as families to come join me in having fun. Getting to know some skaters and bikers 
getting to know their parents. And I know some of you aren't into skating or biking. It's fine. There's two basketball courts up here. And I know there's some basketball-loving people in this place. You could go down to the courts. You could take a basketball. There's always guys shooting, shooting hoops up there. Go down there. Build some relationships while you're having fun as a family. Maybe you don't like that either. Fine. You could go over to the fun park, which is across the street. Take your kids over there. Strike up a conversation with some of the other moms and dads. Maybe you, 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 just, you don't have kids and you just want to be there. Maybe you could just come out and do a treasure hunt, you know? Treasure hunt. Prophesy. Maybe you just walk around and pray underneath your breath, okay? Don't come and be weird. Don't. Stay home. You're weird. Stop it. You can be crazy here, I guess. We are going to build a room, though, so that you can be in there crazy all the time. You can just bounce off the rubber walls. Come and pray under your breath. Just, just watch. Jesus bless that kid. God, I speak salvation over these children. I speak life over these children. I consecrate this land. I, I, I claim it for the Lord Jesus. Just pray. Just pray for someone. The point I'm trying to make is that you go, you come down, you have fun with your family. I'm not asking you to come make this some chore and some, you know, slush and, you know, just, I gotta share the gospel. No. Just have fun and talk to someone. Meet some new people and possibly have a God encounter. We've sure trained you for it. I mean, imagine if you were over at the fun park with your kids and, and your kids are running around and, and there's other kids there, of course, they're always running around and, and maybe you see some mama over in the corner and she's yelling and barking at her kids, you know, and they won't listen to her. Well, maybe you just walk kind of over near her. Maybe, maybe you just say something to her like, man, it's stressful being a parent, isn't it? Right? And they'll say something like, for sure. I don't know. Maybe you say something like, you know, I get stressed being a parent too. It's, it's, it's really hard. But you know, there's something that helps me be less stressful as I pray. You know what I mean? Right? That's pulling them in. Now they may sheepishly go, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I pray too. And this is where you then start pulling on the Holy Spirit. You know, ask the Lord for a word of knowledge. Maybe, maybe you say something like, hey, by the way, do you have any pain in your body? Oh my gosh, my back's been killing me. Really? Do you mind if I pray for you? Uh, I, I guess. Okay. Well, what's, is, what's your pain level? Like a 1 to 10. And if they say yes, 
and they tell you where the pain is, you ask them to pray, you know, God uses me to heal people sometimes because he does. He's used me to do it. He's used a lot of you to do it. And if they say yes, you keep your hands to yourself and you pray for them to be healed. Then you really start pulling on the Holy Spirit. While you're praying for the healing, maybe you start prophesying over them about what God thinks of them. You go into that encounter going, what do you think about this girl? What do you think about this guy, Lord? And then you start to speak it. Man, God's showing me how beautiful you are. You're like a rose. <gasps> Roses are my favorite. You start prophesying positive, encouraging words over them. And that's when the tears start flowing. And if you prayed for healing, maybe you ask them, are, are you better? Is it gone? It's still there. You ask if you can pray again. And you just keep praying until they're either completely ha healed or they just say, no thanks. I appreciate it. Maybe if it's going real good, you ask them, hey, do you have an active relationship with Jesus? Do you really know him? Say it better than that. You should get my point. They say, no, guess what you get to do? You get to let your aroma out. Yeah. You tell them how much Jesus loves them. You tell them that he died for them. And if they're listening, then you get to ask them, would you like to surrender your life? Would you like to turn over the control of your life? Yeah, I think I would. Well, what sins do you want to repent for? What do you want to ask God to forgive you for? Oh, I don't know. Just tell him whatever comes up in your heart. Use your own words. Do you want him to be your, your Lord and Savior? Yeah, we'll tell him. Tell him in your own words. And maybe when that's all done, then you say, hey, what would, would you like to get together and we can study the Bible? Uh, well, I don't know, maybe, okay. Well, let's friend each other on Facebook. Give me your number. And I know that's a perfect scenario, but it really doesn't have to be difficult to share the aroma of Christ with others. And youth, all youth, I believe you are key to reaching your own generation. I really want to see some youth and middle schoolers out here having fun, sharing their faith with other kids. We have trained and trained and trained, and we're training them even right as we speak, to do treasure hunts, to prophesy, to hear from God, and to talk about it. We have trained and trained and trained. It's time to put it into action. At the very least, our youth can just meet a new kid and have some fun. So my point is, let's go, let's just have fun. Bring your family and just have fun and meet someone. Meet some new people, build some relationships, and hopefully have a God encounter. Now, little caveat. When I say I'm serving free hot dogs and water, I mean it's free for skaters, bikers, and scooters. 
people I don't know. It doesn't mean bring your family and eat 10 hot dogs for dinner. Okay? Are we cool? Please don't get butt hurt when I say walk away. You don't get any of this. Just don't do it. Bring your own water. Bring a big jug of it. Bring snacks if you want. Do a picnic. I don't care. I'm handing out stuff to people I don't know or just got to meet. That's it. And I'm only bringing so much. And if I, if I give it all the way in 30 minutes, then I'm just going to hang out for the rest of the night and have fun and meet some new people. Now, there may be a Saturday night. I'm not down there. Feel free to go on your own. Feel free, anyway, to meet some new people, maybe start a new relationship. Because really, most of these kids, all they want is attention and affirmation. I was up there uh, a week or so ago with David and Michelle. And, and there was a boy up there. There was a bunch of boys, but there was one in particular. He looked kind of young, and he was riding in the bowl, which is that kind of back part there. And, and he was doing really good. And at one point, he, he came out of the bowl, did a 180, and landed it. Just nailed it. And it was right there in front of me. And I said, yeah, nice job, man. That was sweet. So he could hear me. And I could see him look at me at the corner of his eye. And he, he cracked a smile. And he mumbled something. It's probably thanks or I don't know. Doesn't matter. But then it's. When they were all done, him and his buddies, they were leaving. And as they were leaving the skate park, I, I just asked him real quick. I said, hey, man, I go, how old are you? And he said, I'm 13. And I just said, man, you are really good. Dude, you are so good. For 13, you need to keep, you keep working hard. Keep going after it, man. And then he said this to me. He goes, yeah, he goes, he says, I've missed writing for a whole year because I was in foster care. And then, but real quickly, right after that, he says, but I'm getting adopted, so it's cool. Man, I had to choke some tears down right there. I was like, cool, dude. <laughs> I mean, this kid wasn't rude. He didn't have an attitude. He just loved riding his bike. And he was just happy he was going to have a forever family. That's the next generation I want to reach for Jesus. So if you want to join me on Saturday nights, I'll be there from 6 to 9, handing out hot dogs and water. <coughs> to anyone who's not from this church. So bring your bikes, bring your skateboards, bring your scooters. Your helmets, your pads, bring a basketball, bring a football. There's a huge field. You can bring a Frisbee right, right there next to the park, you know. Bring a drone, be cool, and be one of those guys, you know. I mean, they even got a pickleball court. That's what that blue court is right there behind. It's now pickleball. I don't even know what pickleball is, but it's there. It's like tiny t tennis. Call it tiny tennis is what we'll call it. <laughs> now, now listen, as I'm wrapping up, and it is, I'm done, but I'm going to ask that if you want to come, and you, you, I want you to come, I want kids coming, I want our kids coming, 
I want you riding and having fun. But if you're going to, there is skate park etiquette, okay? And, and there's a lot of unspoken stuff that we need to know because I don't want to go down there, flood this park with a bunch of noobs, <laughs> and ruin it for the kids who skate and bike there every day. Now, what I've experienced with my son David, who is six years old, he knows nothing but himself. Those kids, they were polite to him when he'd ride into the bowl, but he had to come out. He had to wait his turn. He had to play along, which like everybody else, and they know, they know the rules. So I'm asking that you guys educate yourselves on this. Because every one of us, we can learn something, we can grow, we can participate, but we've got to do it with etiquette. I don't want to ruin this for someone. So to help us get started, I'm going to show you a quick little video on skateboard etiquette. <laughs> Skate park etiquette. It's quick, it's fast, and then we'll pray, and then you can go find an elephant here somewhere. <laughs> I just think how far we are. It doesn't necessarily tell you what you can't do. And there's a big mindset that's just saying that every kid in the park does it. And I'm here to teach you that. I'm from Point of Vista, I'm a skate park expert. <laughs> if you need a skate park, if you come early, kids at school, people at work, and you have the park pretty much to yourself. It'd be a good time for you to practice and get a feel for the skate park. So do yourself a favor, learn how to skate before peak hours, just so you don't get in the way. At the skate park, everything is cool. And at the skate park, you will see a lot of obstacles that you see in the streets, like just the stairs, rails, and wedges. And if you don't know how to skate these obstacles, then you should probably stay in the back and watch some locals do it. Because then you'll learn how to skate and you'll stay out of their way. I mean, it's a win-win situation. So first of all, ledges aren't for sitting. Stairs aren't for walking. And rails are definitely not for driving. It wouldn't be a way to go on every skate as bad side of the skate park, but stop being a trick or doing something even better than that. This is showing them up. You're not trying to be that decent skater. And if you have to do the same trick as them, well, get on the other side of the skate park or something. This is a good place for some shuffling. This is probably the worst place you can skate fast in. The bottom of our burnt ramp or our bowl. Glasses can get pretty slippery. I mean, what might be right for you might not be right for everybody else. So what you first do is definitely wax your board up a little bit. If that doesn't work, you can much wax legs. Ask other skaters around to make sure it's okay with them. And lastly, don't wax the ground. You're not trying to have everybody do 360s out of the trick. Another piece of advice I can give you on skate park etiquette is yelling out boards. We're all bound to slip out and the board's going to fly out and could hit somebody. I think we all appreciate a nice heads up with the skateboard coming out from the sky. Boards! Pretty nice shady area we got here. Has a good view of the skate park. I don't know if you ask me, probably seems a good spot for uh, parents, spectators, and anyone that's really not skating. I mean, you guys got like fences and there's water fountains. I mean, you definitely have it better than all of us inside the skate park. So if you do us a favor and just stay out of the park and just not get in the way, I mean, you might get hit anyways. Another big problem with the skate park are people not waiting their turns. And this is called snaking. It's when people cut you off and take your turn. Pretty rude if you ask me. And an extended version of this is called a victory lap or a hero lap. I mean, whatever you really want to call it. I mean, like, there are other people in the skate park, so, like, let them have their turn. I mean, the park's not yours. 
So don't be a noob, no snaking, no board, no entry. And actually what's cool at the skate park is there is an observation deck right next to it. So you can hang out up there. That's where I hang out when David's skating. And you can watch when it's okay to your kids to go into the bowl or not. But it's an amazing place. And I've even reached out to build a relationship with a couple of guys who helped Spearhead get the, the skate park. And um, I'm... I'm looking forward to to having a a relationship and an alliance with those guys and bringing Christ into this part of the world. Amen. Well, let's stand up. We're going to pray. If you want to stand, we'll finish. Father, I just I thank you that we always smell good to you. There is always the aroma of Christ coming off of us and it's filling your nostrils and it's beautiful i thank you god that we smell good to those who are being saved and those who are ready for the gospel and those who are are saying yes god i just pray god right now for a boldness to be upon us a, a desire to get out of our comfortable lifestyles and break out and come and and just begin to let the fragrance of Christ just arise wherever we are, at our workplace and in our schools, God. I just pray right now, God, that, that we would rise up in the spirit of evangelism and outreach, that we would begin to encounter young people and old people and new people. and God, that we would just say yes to going globally, God, because going globally starts in our backyard. That is the first step out to the world. It's my backyard. And so, God, forgive us for not, not, not reaching out like we should. And I'm asking, God, that you would just wipe the slate clean and allow us, Lord, to just have favor and grace. God, like Paul, let us have an open door. I pray for an open door right now, Father, for each of us to encounter everyone, not just on Saturday night, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, God. Every day, let us, let us shine and let us smell for you, God. So I just bless us this week, God. We thank you for the freedom that we're celebrating on the 4th of July next week, God. Bless and protect all our families. Keep us safe, Lord. Just thank you, God, for all your amazingness. Thank you for your presence and the breakthrough we had this morning in worship, God, in so many lives. You deserve so much love and honor and wisdom and power and might. And we just say we love you, God. And we are going to go after the next generation, Lord. We are not going to just talk about it. We will do it. We love you and give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody says Amen. Have a beautiful day.